Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from James chapter 5, verses 7 to 11. Be patient, then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You, too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who, has, who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Beth. Have you ever stood in line at a bank and, and done the math, the, the ratio between uh, the number of clerks and the number of people in line? Have you ever stood behind somebody at the checkout in the express lane and have you ever counted their items? Yes. <laughs> yes. It's hard to be patient, isn't it? It's hard to be patient. You know, uh, they, they did a survey of 3,000 millennials. Any millennials here this morning? Yeah, a few Gen Ys. And 45% uh, of them said that they are, they're less patient now than they were five years ago, and they blame that on technology. Did you know that um, the appropriate etiquette for re returning texts is about a, a minute and a half, according to some? That, you know, most people, 95% of people within three minutes of receiving a text will have, have looked at it. it is, it's hard to be patient, isn't it? I mean, it's hard to be patient at the best of times. It gets increasingly difficult to be patient when things are tough. You know, when the job doesn't come or come the way that we would like it to, uh, when that relationship, that significant relationship remains strained, when, when the health issue doesn't seem to correct itself, or what is it for you? It, it, it's just, it's, it can be so hard to be patient. And I, I, James knows this. And this morning, he's, he's going to help us with patience. He says, brothers and sisters, be patient until the coming of the Lord. And what James realizes is what theologians have said for a long time, that we live in a strange place between the already and the not yet. Jesus has already come. 
He has already died for our sins. He has already risen. He has already ascended to the right hand of God. But he has not yet come. He has not come back. He has not made everything right. He has not yet taken care of all the sin and and the suffering. He has not yet made a, a new heavens and a new world. And so we live. We live in the middle between the already and the not yet. And this, my friends, is a time, and this, my friends, is a call to be patient until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And James knows how difficult it is to wait. He does. He knows how hard it is to be patient. And so he's going to give a couple of encouragements here in our passage. On the one hand, he's going to tell us that patience in the face of suffering, is not a waste of time. And the other thing he's going to teach us here in our passage is that patience in the face of suffering is actually to join an amazing group of people. An amazing group of people. So first, patience in the face of suffering is not a waste of time. But it does feel like that, doesn't it? I mean, when things are difficult and when the seasons go on and there's no resolution to the suffering, it's, it does kind of seem like a waste of time. It's like, well, well, what was the point of that? And and what is this for? And it's for people like that, that James says something very interesting. And he tells us to do something that we don't often do because we don't tend to live where he tells us to think about, we live where we do, and he says to us, see the farmer. See the farmer. See the farmer, he says. See how he patiently waits for the autumn and the spring rains and waits for that beautiful, valuable harvest. He's asking us to think about farming. Think about farming. He says, you know, I don't know a lot about farming, but I do know this. I think this is true, that if you're a farmer, you've got to do a lot of waiting, a lot of waiting. I think there's work to do, but when you sow the field and you just let it do its thing, you've got to wait a long time. In James' world, they had an interesting growing season. And after a really hot summer when the earth was baked and hard, then would come the autumn rains. And the autumn rains would soften the earth, and that would, that would trigger the time to begin to sow. And so the farmer would sow the seeds, and then the farmer would have to wait, and wait, and wait, until the spring rains came. And as the spring rains came, they would, they would bump up the crop to maturity. In March, the barley would come. In April, May, the wheat would come. And this was the cycle of the growing season in James' day, a little different from ours. But I want you to look at this farmer and notice what the farmer doesn't do. The farmer doesn't walk around after he's sown the crops and grow impatient. He doesn't say, like, come on, hurry up. Like, come on. 
Why isn't anything happening? This is taking forever. Farmers don't do that because we all know that farmers have to wait. And the same is true of us. The farmer gets it. I wonder if we get it. Do we get that we're called to a life of, of patience? And do we understand that grace is not just something that's coming to us, but it's something that's taking place right now in our lives as we wait and as we face suffering? James says, yes, look at the farmer. Something amazing is happening. Something amazing is happening. That seed is sending down its roots. The stem comes, the leaves, the fruit, the plant. But it takes time. But there's grace. And there is grace for us in the face of difficulty. There is grace for you as you wait right now and as you wait patiently. In other words, it's not a waste of time. It's not a waste of time. What you are going through, what God is calling you to, whatever that is in your life, it's not a waste of time. God is actually doing something and doing something powerful, just like the farmer in his field. What's he doing? You know, nothing really surfaces, nothing really reveals our hearts like suffering. And when you go through suffering, it just has a way of calling up, summoning everything that we believe, everything that we trust, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, one thing I've learned over the last little while, and I never thought it was true of me, I, I tend to be a bit of a control freak. I, I don't know where that came from. I never thought I was. But in recent days, in recent seasons, I'm a bit of a control freak. I don't know if you can relate to this, but sometimes when my life is out of control or so it seems, I start making lists. I, I start to organize my life and try and control my life because it seems so chaotic. When, when the heat comes down on our lives, it just, it has this way of just calling up, summoning everything that we think and believe in the moment. But here's the truth, and, and I want you to hold on to this. We do not live in an imper impersonal world. We don't live in a world w w where there is no God. We live in a world with a sovereign God who knows us intimately. And not only wants to surface the things in our hearts that have hijacked our hearts and, and taken us away from God. He wants to see those or use those moments as an opportunity to grow you. To grow you like a plant in that field. Right now, it may very well feel like this is just a waste of time. And what's the point of all the suffering? He's actually growing you. He's actually working in your life. And he's inviting you. He's inviting you to partner with him as he does that good and continual work in your life. Listen, life, life is hard. Life is very difficult. It's easier when you're young. My granddaughter, Maya, 
who's not here today, has a fairly easy life. A very easy life. All she does is she wakes up, she eats, she poops, she plays, she laughs, she goes back to sleep, and that's really all that she does right now. But as we grow, our life becomes more complex. Our relationships become more complex. More people in our lives. More people means more problems, right? And, and the responsibilities begin to grow in our lives. More responsibilities, more chance for failure. And then there's the health, the health issues. Many of you, not all, but many of you are doing well right now. You're young enough to be well enough, but it's not going to last forever. And there are people here in this room who can testify about that. You're going to get old. You're going to get decrepit. There are going to be physical issues. Be so encouraged to hear that this morning. So encouraged. I have a neighbor. He must be almost 80. And uh, Barry's been struggling lately. He's been struggling. He has some kind of infection and they can't, they can't figure it out. But he's been in and out of the hospital. And the other night, I got a knock on the door, and it was his wife and his daughter, and they were in tears. And they said that Barry was in the bathtub, he had taken a bath, and he couldn't get up. And they asked me to go over and, and lift him out of the tub. And so, because I'm a good neighbor, I went over, I climbed into the tub behind him, put my arms under his armpits, and I deadlifted him out of the bathtub and onto the toilet, where his wife could dress him. And the next day when I saw him, I said, Barry, I never thought we would become such close neighbors. And he laughed. But you know, this is where we're going. And you are going to go there. Maybe sooner than you realize. Enjoy your time now. Enjoy your health, but it's not always going to last. And if our hope is squarely in this world, we're going to be very disappointed. We need a hope that transcends this life. One that is strong enough to keep us going, like the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's doing right now as he prepares you for that. Because he is. He's calling you to be patient wherever you are, to wait wherever you are in that situation that's out of your hands and beyond your control, and you cannot fix it, but he has you there. And you are where you are because a sovereign God has placed you there because he has every intention of working in your life and growing you before he comes. Your waiting and your patience are not a waste of time. You may want to get out of whatever it is that you're going through, but the Lord has you where you are, or he will have you wherever you are, and you can trust that he's doing a good work in that moment, okay? Here's another encouragement. Oh, I'm not done the first one. 
Because James goes on to say here, don't grumble against one another. (laughs) And it just seems like he's just, where did that come from? Just kind of wedged it into the passage. It's like, what's the connection between waiting patiently for the Lord to come and, and knowing that he's doing a good work in your life and then grumbling against one another? What's, what's the connection? I mean, is it really so hard to understand, to get, to get? I mean, think about it. Think about those times when you're just in a bad mood, where you're going through hard things, and uh, somebody comes along and you just take it out on them. You know what I mean? It's the boss who's got marital problems, and then you come into the office and he just lets you have it. Maybe it's the parent who's just exasperated. Something's going on. The kids are right there. Who knows? We do this. We do this all the time. When things are not going well and we're angry and we're frustrated, we just we take it out on whoever is around us. And James is saying, don't do that. They had stuff going on. They were being persecuted because of their faith. They were being treated unjustly. And then it spilt over into the church. And James says, don't do that. Don't do that because the Lord will judge you, which I think means he will discipline you. No matter what, it's serious business. Here's why. Because in our grumbling against one another, what we're really saying to God is, I'm not okay with where you have me. I'm not okay where in your sovereignty, where you have placed me and allowed me to dwell. The, the horizontal really always reveals the vertical. And the problems that we have here on this level really surface and show our issue with God. And that is that I'm not okay with what I'm going through. And it will spill out, friends, in your relationships. And James says, don't do it. Don't do it. So take stock. Take stock of those moments where you have been grumbling. And what does that mean? What does that reveal about who God is? And what does that reveal about how you think of him and how you understand him and where he's placed you in this moment? All I'm trying to say here, I think what James is saying is that God's not wasting his time. He's not wasting your time. The waiting is not a waste of time. God is on the go. He's working. Encouragement. Encouragement number one. Encouragement number two is this. To be patient in the face of suffering, to be patient in the face of suffering, is to put you among very good company. Very good company. How many of you have a role model in your life? I want you to think of a role model that you have. Somebody that you look up to. Somebody that you want to be like. You know, in James' day, they had role models, too. They weren't the kind of role models, I would say, that, that many people would have today, celebrities or whatnot. Well, their celebs were biblical characters. And they grew up in a world where they went to the temple, and they, and they heard the word of God, and they heard the scriptures, and their heroes were these biblical characters. And James says, I want you to look at or consider the prophets, look and consider the prophets and how they were patiently waiting. And while they waited, they were preaching the word of God. You know, one thing about the prophets is that they didn't have an easy life. They had a very hard life. 
And God tends to do that with people when he wants to make them useful. He puts them through the fire. You look at all the prophets in in the word of God, and they all went through fire as they proclaim the word of the Lord. And James says, consider them. He doesn't say who to consider. And I think that's kind of great because we get to pick. We get to pick who we're going to consider. And we could consider Moses. We could consider Elijah. We could consider Jeremiah or one of those great prophets. But I want, because I'm preaching, to consider somebody else. Somebody who doesn't get a lot of airtime in the Bible. Somebody who gets just one paragraph in the scriptures. Her name is Anna. And Anna was a young woman. She was just seven years married when she lost her husband. Can you imagine that? There's no evidence that she ever remarried. There's no evidence that she had children. I don't think she did. Like just seven years into your marriage, just basically a bride, and the Lord takes your husband away. The scriptures are discreetly and mercifully silent in terms of how she wrestled with her grief and her anguish. All we know is how she lived. And what we're told in that story is that Anna lived for decades afterwards until she was 84. Now, 84 in that day was very old. Most people in Jesus' day lived to about 35 or 40 years of age. She lived for decades. And it says that she never left the temple. She stayed there. And what she did was this. She prayed and she worshiped and she fasted for decades, waiting for what it says was the redemption of Jerusalem, which was to say the coming of Messiah. And one day, a young couple shows up at the temple with their baby boy. Their names are Mary and Joseph. Their baby's name is Jesus because it's time for him to be presented and for sacrifices to be made for purification rites. And Anna the prophet, as she is called, in a crowded temple, makes her way over to Mary and Joseph and to Jesus. And now you kind of understand why the Lord had her live so long. She got a chance to see Jesus. And more than that, she got a chance to bless people's lives, bless their lives. Think about, think about all the conversations. Think about how everybody knew Anna in the temple. Look, you live there for that many years. You're bound to know everybody. Everybody knew Anna. And Anna went around telling everyone about Jesus Christ. This is a woman who had nothing in terms of what the world deems to be important. She had no husband. She had no children. She had no money. She had no real estate. And she spent her years, the decades, worshiping God, praying fasting, waiting for Jesus, and then she gets to see him.
And I would argue, friends, that what it was that sustained Anna through those long years and those difficult years was that she was waiting for the coming of Jesus. And what is it that's going to sustain your heart when you don't have everything that this world says you need to have and that makes you valuable? What is it that's going to turn your heart to God in worship, in prayer, in fasting, in declaring Jesus Christ? It is going to be this. You're waiting for Jesus. You're waiting for him. Anna did. That's a great role model. And let's not forget Job. Job. (laughs) If ever there was an example of patience, man, it was Job. You know, one day Satan came to Job and said to God, I want to tempt this man. God said, have you considered this man? And Job said to him, the only reason why Job worships you is because you've put a hedge around his life. You've protected him. You've given him all these blessings, but take any of them away and he'll curse you. And God said, very well, I put his life into your hands, into your power. You can do with him whatever you want. Just do not take his life. Satan, of course, was pretty pleased with that. First, he took away all of Job's wealth. Secondly, he took away Job's family apart from his wife. He took away Job's health. We find him at some point sitting on the ground, scraping the sores of his body with pottery. His wife just says, Job, just curse God and die already. (laughs) But he didn't. And you see Job wrestling with this. You see him wrestling with friends who come to him, who sit for a while and say nothing, which was the best thing they ever did. And then they open their mouths and say, Job, the reason why you're going through this is because you must have sinned. There must be some hidden sin. And Job remains steadfast that I have done nothing. Nothing to warrant this. I find the end of the story almost as difficult as the beginning, to be honest. It says at the very end that God gave to Job seven sons and three daughters and made him uber rich and that he lived 140 years afterwards and got to see his kids and his grandkids and his great-grandkids and it seems very tidy. I don't think that's the point of Job, that what he takes away, he's going to return and give. I think it was a lesson that God taught Job. And the lesson that God taught Job is, it's a hard one, but it's great. God has a word with Job. And God says to Job, Job, where were you? when I laid the foundations of the earth. And he continues to talk about how he made the world and how great he is. And it's like, God, that is such a hard thing to say to somebody who's been going through hell. Like, couldn't you come up with a a gentler, easier, more loving approach? 
instead of where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth? But I think it's what Job needed to hear. And maybe you need to hear it this morning. I think what God was saying to Job was that, Job, you, you see only a little bit of your life. You have a sliver of a context. I see everything. I see it all. You can trust me. You may not understand what I'm doing. You may not be able to fathom it, and you can't, because he always does a million things all at the same time. But you can trust me, Job. And here's what Job says. Hear this. I have now seen with my eyes what I had only heard with my ears. I just heard these things about you, but now I see you, God. I see you with new eyes. I see you in a way I've never seen you before. And that's the point of Job. God opening Job's eyes to see the God that is. And to be amazed by this sovereign God who has a person's life in their hands and is working deeply and powerfully like he did with Job. You may be going through it right now. I have no doubt in my mind that some, many of you are going through it. And if you're not going through it now, you will be. But you have to understand this, that it's nothing new. That God has always put his kids to the fire. And you're in good company today. You're not alone. You're not alone. It's the way he works. It's the way he works. And man, to see somebody go through the fire praising God, to see them go through the fire like Job and said, even if you destroy my flesh, I will still bless you, God. Man, do you know what kind of work God has to do in a person's life where they say, even if? Even if you take it all away, I will still worship and praise you. You can take my health, my wealth, my family, everything, my life. I will still worship you because you're good. Man, you want to find people like that. You want to get around people like that. You want to go to the scriptures and find those people right now, wherever you are. Who, who is it going to be for you? Got to find them. You got to find them. Look, and here's what I'm trying to say this morning. Life is hard, and it's not going to get easier. And if our hope is for a better life here, you're going to be very disappointed. <laughs> our hope has got to be squarely in the fact that one day Jesus Christ will come back and put all things right. He will. Until then, until then, he is working in your life. He is growing you. He's not wasting his time or yours. Rejoice. And when you find yourself going through it, he has surrounded you with people 
to inspire you and encourage you for the journey to keep going. And do keep going. Don't quit. Don't quit. So often when we're going through it, friends, there's such a temptation to leave, to quit, to walk away from God. It's in those moments that we really got to double down and use the means of grace that God's given us. Like what? Like his word? Like worship? Like community? Like small groups? Like the table? These things are for you, and they're designed to keep you going and growing. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we glorify your name and we worship you. You are the one who gives and you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You are the one, Father, who when we walk through the deep waters and when we are walking through the flames that you are with us and we are not alone, you are always at work, always growing us. Help us, Lord, not to lose sight. Help us day by day to reframe reframe the context of our existence by remembering that this life is not sovereign, you are. And that you are good. We pray, Father, that you will bless every means that you've given us to keep us walking patiently. Hopefully, looking to Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. Thank you for Jesus who went before us and calls us behind him to your glory. We look forward to that day, Father. What a day that's going to be. Give us grace now as we live in the middle between the already and the not yet. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.